Number one, the mustache is back. I invite Brady and others to join me with the mustache and mullet. Now, now let me just give some context. It's to connect with the kids. The mullet is just fun, all right? But there's a lady in here that took connecting with kids to the next level yesterday. Sue Justice went skydiving with her son, Nathan. I want to connect with my kids, but I don't even know about that. So you're, you rock. That was awesome. It's like, man, so get on Facebook. Watch the videos and the, and the uh, pictures. They're pretty cool. All right, you guys up for some dad jokes or what? Okay, uh, there was a couple things that have popped up like through the week. Obviously, Together Miami County is a big thing that's happening, and we invite you all to be a part of that. Um, but then there's this other thing that I just found out about this week. There's a tent revival in Troy behind Trojan Horse by the Practice CrossFit next Friday and Saturday evening. I think it's roughly at 7 p.m. Uh, but anyway, that's next Friday, Saturday, 9th and 10th. Uh, what time is it? 7 p.m. Okay. So anyways, head, head out. It'll be great. Okay? Thursday, Friday. 9th, 10th are the right dates, but we're the wrong, day, wrong days. Okay. Thursday, Friday night, 7 p.m., Tent Revival, Troy. Go there. It's going to be awesome. Dad jokes. Ready? This is just to buy some filler time for the kiddos' parents to get back. All right? It's a continuation of the Bible dad jokes that I did a few weeks ago. What kind of person was Boaz before he got married? Ruthless. Where is the first tennis match mentioned in the Bible? When Joseph served Pharaoh's court. You got to kind of have some biblical knowledge for this just a little bit. Who was the greatest comedian in the Bible? Samson. He brought the house down. <laughs> Which servant of God was the worst lawbreaker in the Bible? Moses. He broke all ten commandments at once. <laughs> at what time of day was Adam created? A little before Eve. Uh, hey, we have a new member of Upper Room that just came today for the first time, Guinevere Foreman. So welcome her from a distance. <laughs> Roughly two weeks old, three weeks? Two weeks in a day. So respect their space, wave at a distance. And uh, but man, we're so glad to have you. And you're obviously feeling amazing to come here two weeks and one day later. So yay, Jesus. All right, um, man, we'll see how today goes. We'll, we'll see. Uh, we're at this moment, and I think history, honestly, I think not just the upper room, but I think in the earth, the kingdom, we're at this moment of an open heavens. As you've been with us maybe for a few weeks, in the last five weeks or so, we've not preached twice because of the presence of Jesus coming in so powerfully that we felt it was the time to worship and the time to receive and the time to honor Holy Spirit's space and what he was doing. So I, I feel like this is a time that's happening, and, and we're just trying to usher and, and steward this, and, and we're coming in every week just with, an, with open hands to say, okay, Lord, what, what do you want to do today? So I begin to process this with the Lord and process, like, through this week, like, you know, because you start to ask yourself practical questions as a pastor, like, is, was this a full corporate moment, or was this just a few people up front? Was this a moment to give Holy Spirit space, or are we manufacturing trying to force something, you know? It's, it's kind of the things that I question our, our, my heart, our heart. 
And, and the Lord began to, I was on the highway driving again, and he began to really ask me some serious questions. And he's like, if you have to preach and do announcements and take offering every week, is it really about me? Or is it more about you? And I said, okay, Lord, it's about you. He's like, then give me space. <laughs> so, so that's kind of what we're doing is, is we're not trying to force something every week. And trust me, I would rather not preach. <laughs> I'd rather worship. I'd rather just let Holy Ghost take over and, and us uh, do whatever he, he sees fit. Um, but then you start to ask, like, okay, what about kids? Like, are the kids catching it? Like, you know, we have plans every week for kids' ministries. And so and that's just what he said. He's like, if, if you have to preach every week and you have to do announcements and you need offering every week and you don't trust me even enough in that, then it's more about you than it is about me. So we're a church that's going to just have a plan. We're going to have a word. And uh, Steve Bowen and I, a few of us were talking about this week, we're going to come with a word, but we're open to the Lord hijacking the service as he sees fit. And maybe there's a word, maybe there's not. Maybe there's a different word. Maybe it's a different person that's supposed to give the word last, that week. So, so last week, Steve was giving the word, and I was like, I went to him. I said, okay, what are you feeling? Is this a moment or is, is this not? He's like, it's a moment. We're not going to preach. So I said, all right, well, then why don't you go up and say a word? And then he dropped a, a nugget of what he was going to speak on. So that, that's just where we are. So I begin to dialogue and process with the Lord and, and just like really... Like, say, okay, is it a prayer moment? Is it a worship moment? And, and I think it could change, and I think sometimes we want to lump prayer and worship together. Prayer and worship certainly aren't lumped together. <laughs> we think it might be, but it's not. Worship and praise is not lumped together. See, prayer, you're, you're asking, you're petitioning, you're, you're, you're communing, and you're, you're intimate, and you're communicating with the Lord, but in worship, no time ever do you ask for anything. In worship, it's never about you. It's all about Him. And, wor and, and worship and praise, worship is adoring for who he is, praise is acknowledging what he's done. So there's even a difference between delineating between worship and praise. Worship are songs to Jesus. Worship is a heart to Jesus. Worship is painting to Jesus, not just for him. Praise is acknowledging what he's done, and we're thanking him, and we're in a, in a realm of thanksgiving and gratitude for what he's done. So there's these moments that are happening, and there might be weeks where we're going to intercede and we may pray. There's going to be weeks where we may praise and just thank him and come into thanksgiving with him. And there might be weeks where we just honor and just worship him. That's, that's one of my favorites. Because there's this invitation right now to, where, to walk in intimacy with the Lord. That's the Father. To, to intimacy is with the Father. Spirit of adoption. He created us for intimacy, communion, closeness with him. We're to walk in authority. That's through the blood of the Lamb, the cross. We, we get to walk in authority and we, we receive this invitation that we can do greater works than Jesus did. We, we have this authority to bind and loose things on earth as they are in heaven, right? We are given this authority by the blood of the Lamb. And then we're also to walk in power. That's the infilling. That's the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit in us. So, so we'll get to some of this today. But, but let me just say this. I, I, I don't want to know how good you are. I want to know how good Jesus is in you. That's the difference between me doing something within my capability and us fabricating something within our ability here and having good music and good programs versus the Holy Spirit coming and doing more than we could do on our own. If I'm hearing more about your titles and who you are and who you've been and how many conferences you've spoken and where you've done and how many people have been healed, all this stuff, if I'm hearing more about that, it's more about you than it is about him. I want to hear more about him. If I'm hearing more about your business or more about this or that than more about him in your life and what he's doing, so I'm just laying some groundwork here because I've been addicted to this song called Threshing Floor. Um, 
our kids came back from camp jacked up, right? And, and where they went, really, really dear friends. Matter of fact, the James mentioned the sister church of ours. It's, it's in Indiana. And they just released this, this, this brief album. It's five or six songs. And, and there's a song on there called Threshing Floor. I'm like, man, I have never searched out Threshing Floor. I've never studied Threshing Floor. Know a little bit about what it is in the biblical context and, and, and separating wheat from chaff and all of that. And I know a little bit. But there's a song they sing, and it's just this beautiful song, and I've just been addicted to it. It's been on repeat. It's actually the only, this album has been the only thing I've listened to since they came from youth, since that was released, I think about three or four weeks ago. And this week, I found myself in some trials, and I found myself searching in some, some hard situations and decisions and different things, and that just became on repeat. And it's kind of this concept of, Lord, I want to be on your threshing floor, separate what you don't need separate the bad almost like and then i started to picture like clay and he's the potter and i'm like man and do that at upper room do that in us do that in me and do that here so i'm going to show you a picture of a threshing floor and we're going to go there in scripture and just kind of launch from there but they have a, a picture here of a threshing floor and this would have been in the context of the threshing floor we're specifically going to mention so a little hard to see it's a little dark picture but basically they would throw the wheat all of it in the middle and they would put it off to the sides and in either hand drug or by oxen they would drag the sledge and it was this flat piece that would be drug and, and really what that's doing it had rocks on the bottom it had spikes and all of these things and what that was doing was separating and just grinding up and separating the wheat from that chaff and then they'd have to wait on windy days and they'd, they'd toss up toss it up and then the the straw or the the chaff and the dust and the things not near would usually blow away or go off to the side and this is a threshing floor this is this is what a picture of a threshing floor would be and and so let's get into some scripture context threshing floor in scripture it's a place of separation and revelation it's a place where the harvest was prepared by separating the grain from the useless straw for the purpose of exposing and collecting the most valuable part of the crop that's the definition of threshing floor First Chronicles 21. I think sometimes there's these moments, especially in charismatic churches or spirit-filled or led churches, that sometimes people don't have a grid for it. There's no context. So I think at times God may reveal something or is about to reveal something, and we need to sometimes lean into the practical aspect or the teaching or, or what is happening here. And I think sometimes it's, it's great to see the flags and hear the screams and, and do all that, but I'm left out or I have no clue or no grid for that if I've never experienced that. Now, there's a trust level, there's a faith level, right? Or people falling out, and what, what is that? Man, that is being so full of his presence that we literally cannot stand it anymore and we can no longer stand in the awe of his presence in that realm of the glory realm. So there's these things, and, and I used to not really believe in any of it until I began to experience it. So First Chronicles 21 it's okay if we read several scriptures today. 18 through 30. This is David. Now, David had just sinned before the Lord. God gave him the choice of three punishments. He had taken a census when he wasn't supposed to. Uh, the punishment went out. And now there's this grace, kind of a mercy moment with David and the Lord. Then the angel of the Lord told Gad to instruct David to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him through God, Gad. Arana, who was busy threshing wheat at the time, there's going to be some discernible points here, all right? I will give you points. The one is there's always a process. 
There's always a process from the beginning of your existence on the earth while you were formed and before you were ever even um, in your mother's womb, there was already a process happening. Before you were saved, there was already a process happening. So, so the first point is there's a process. There's a separation. There's, there's something, even, even your testimony, even your sin, the Lord uses for good. Your mess, your choices, these, the down and out moments, right? He uses for good. It's, it's your story for his glory. Turn and saw the angel there. His four sons who were with him ran away and hid. When Arana saw David approaching, he left his threshing floor and bowed before David with his face to the ground. David said, Arana, let me buy this threshing floor from you at its full price. Then I will build an altar to the Lord there so, they, so that he will stop the plague. Take it, my lord, the king, and use it as you wish. Arana said to David, I will give the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing boards for the wood to build the fire on the altar and the wheat for the grain offering, and I will give it to you all. So he's saying, David's like, I will pay full price for this threshing floor. I need this property. I need this space. I need this to build an altar. And Aaron is like, no, no, I, I'll give it to you, king. I know, I know your heart. I know what this is for. Let me give it. Here's what David's reply was. But King David replied to Aaron, no, I insist on buying it for the full price. I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. I will not present a burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. The second point was, the first thing you need to do is build an altar. The third point is, it's going to cost you something. Revival costs something. Hosting his presence costs something. Choosing Jesus costs something. <laughs> the cross wasn't free for our iniquities and our sins and our healings and our eternal life, right? It wasn't free. There is a cost. Now let me just say this, the benefits and the life in Jesus and, and his presence in, in eternal life outweigh any cost that you'll ever imagine. So David gave Arana 600 pieces of gold in payment for the threshing floor. David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And when David prayed, the Lord answered him by sending fire from heaven to burn up the offerings on the altar. Now we're getting cool. So David gave the offerings, worship, and then he prayed, prayer, okay? And then all of a sudden, the Lord consumed it with fire. When David saw that the Lord had an answered his prayer, had answered his prayer, he offered sacrifices there at Aaron's threshing floor. At that time, the tabernacle of the Lord and the altar of the burnt offering that Moses had made in the wilderness were located at the place of worship in Gibeon. Now turn with me to 2 Chronicles 3. So the first, the first point as you, as you get there, if you brought your Bibles, is the first point is there's a process. There's a threshing floor that purifies us, that separates the good from the bad. And it's already been taking place, but it is a continual thing. And we're going to get there in a, in a moment here. There is a continual coming to the Lord to say, Lord, what else is in there? Dissect me. Take it out. What's not of you, take out. I want to be the clay. You're the potter. Mold me. Right? There's this humility and this hunger to always want the more. The next thing was there's an altar. The first thing, we build an altar. The next thing is, is, is there's, a, there's a table. See, wheat is, is, is made. What they're doing is they're gathering wheat. They're separating the bad of the good so that they can have wheat to eat bread, right? So there's a gathering at the table because who's the bread of life? Jesus. Next, we get to two more points here. And I know it's, it's difficult today, five points. Then we'll preach. Two quick verses here. Solomon builds the temple. 
3.1. So Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord. Now, now let me give you context. Who's Solomon to David? His son. If you remember, let me catch you up to speed for, for uh, the people who didn't grow up in church. Thank you. I'm so, it's awesome you're here. So, so let me bring you up to speed. David had a heart to rebuild the temple. An angel shows up. The Lord speaks to a prophet, tells David, you're not the one. You're not the one. You've been good with a sword. You're good with a crown, but you're not good with a hammer. Your son Solomon, though, that's who's going to rebuild the tabernacle. That's who's going to rebuild the temple. So here we are now. Now Solomon's beginning to rebuild. And it says, So Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David, his father. The temple was built. We're about to get somewhere. On the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite, the site that David had selected, the construction began in mid-spring during the fourth year of Solomon's reign. We're going to skip a bunch because it's talking about the dimensions, the specifics, everything that was used. If, if you want to geek out over that, read, read the rest of three and four, okay? We're going to go to five. Now, the reason I get so worked up about this is because it wasn't just some random site that they rebuild the tabernacle. This was a foundation that was built from an altar that was once a process even separating the bad. <laughs> Let me picture your life. We think that we may not be worthy or good enough for God to build something in or to post his presence or to fill us with his spirit or to do his ministry or to be anointed or called. Let me tell you, you're dead wrong. Because there is a process that takes place in each of us, and I don't care where you are, where you started from, or how long you were there. There is a threshing process that he separates the bad, leaves the good, and then when we build an altar to worship and pray to him, all of a sudden he rebuilds things for a place to post his presence. Let me move on here. Five. So Solomon finished all his work on the temple of the Lord. Then he brought all the gifts his father David had dedicated, the silver, the gold, the various articles, and he stored them in the treasures of the temple of God. The ark brought to the, the, the temple. The ark of the covenant represents the presence. It's the very presence of Jesus. Solomon then summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel and all the heads of tribes, the leaders of the ancestral families of Israel. Solomon's bringing some unity to the house here. They were to bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to the temple from its location in the city of David, also known as Zion. So the men of Israel assembled before the king in the animal festival of shelters, which is held in early autumn. When all the elders of Israel arrived, the Levites picked up the Ark. Now, Levites, they were known as worshipers. The priests and the Levites brought up the Ark along with the special tent, and all the sacred items had been in it. There, before the ark, King Solomon and the entire community of Israel sacrificed so many sheep, goats, and cattle that no one could keep count. Then the priest carried the ark of the Lord's covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the ark, forming a canopy over the ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the holy could not could ends could be seen from the holy place which is in front of the most holy place but not from the outside they are still there to this day nothing was in the ark except the two stone tablets that moses had placed in at mount sinai where the lord made the covenant with the people of israel when they left egypt then the priests left the holy place all the priests who were present had purified themselves whether or not they were on duty that day 
We're back to the threshing floor. This is a continual thing. Let me, let me move on. And the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Jeduthun, and all their sons and brothers were dressed in fine linen robes and stood at the east side of the altar playing cymbals, lyres, and harps. They were joined by 120 priests who were playing trumpets. I think that's so cool. 120 priests playing trumpets. And then you go fast forward to the day of Pentecost and it's 120 in the upper room with flames of fire on their heads. The trumpeters and singers performed together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words. He is good. His faithful love endures forever. At that moment, now, now here's the moment that I want. I want there to be such an honor for his presence that this is what we go to. If you remember, as they were moving the Ark of the Covenant, at one point, somebody died because they, had, they, they, did, they weren't obedient. They were irreverent to the Ark of the Covenant. Literally, dead. Now we're bringing this Ark of the Covenant to the holy place. The, the tabernacle is built. The attention to detail, to host his presence, to have a place of worship, a place of prayer, a place of unity, right? So here we get to this place, and it says, At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. That is fruit from building an altar on a threshing floor to host his presence. A cloud filled the place so powerfully that they couldn't continue their service. So no longer did it matter what they wanted to do. Now the Lord, the Holy Spirit was taking over. I want that. I want that. Not one second did I, did I, did I get nervous about not collecting offering for two weeks. <laughs> Do we not trust Jesus? Oh, man. We get to live in the pleasure of Jesus, not the pressure. Do we not trust he'll provide? Do we not trust he'll show up if we ask him to show up? Do we not trust that he'll do more with a kid in here not paying attention when there's a cloud realm of glory of his presence than if they might be in class? I'm speaking to myself here. The fourth point was it's generational. This isn't just for you. What are you sowing into? What are your prayers look like for the next generation? What's your altar look like for the next generation? What's your threshing floor look like for the next generation? What are, what are we doing? What are we doing for 100 years from now? What are we doing for our great-grandkids? My, my wife, yesterday, we got to celebrate my wife's grandma's 90th birthday. It was so fun. A slew of great Grandkids, just, just in a picture and saying a hint, her favorite hymn for her. It, it was amazing in this moment, right? What do we do? She's a woman of faith. Her husband and her woman, women of faith. They loved our church. Her, her husband who passed away, Andy, uh, Nicole's grandpa, said, you do two things I've never seen any minister do as powerfully as you. You make the uncomfortable feel comfortable and the comfortable feel uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like, thanks? He's like, no, it's, it's a compliment. He's like, you, as a pastor, as a preacher, you're supposed to make the uncomfortable feel comfortable and welcomed. You're also supposed to make the, challenge the comfortable and make them feel uncomfortable to take them to the word and do these things. And I was like, thank you. Thank you, Gramps. The fourth point, fifth, sorry, fifth and final point. I don't do points, so this is why it's a little weird for me. Fifth and final point. We need to build a place for Jesus. A place where he can, where we can host his presence. And I'm not talking 
about a structure. We're adding on. That's, that's awesome. That's only to facilitate what's in our hearts and what's in our service and, and what we're going after, and that is to build a place. Not, not, not a building, but a structure, a temple to host his presence, to worship, to pray, and to bring people together. And in this moment, I see this threshing floor being the altar and the table. Corey and I and all of us, we've been talking about the altar and the table for like three years now. There's something special about the altar and the table. He is building something on the altar. He's building something on the table. And see, here's, here's the connection here. The threshing floor is something to create bread that brings us together at the table. And it's the bread of life. It's the bread of Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let, let, me, let me move on here. Matthew 3. We're going to make a connection here. I need some amens or high fives or something. I didn't wear my new Nikes for it to be this quiet in here. <laughs> I preached on Nikes a few weeks ago, like shoes are meant to go, and if I have nice shoes, I'm going to wear them. And they showed up as a gift, and uh, after that, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. And then I'm like, I had my outfit planned for today, right? I was like, oh, because I was waiting. I couldn't wait to wear these. I was like, but I can't wear them with shorts. I wanted to wear shorts last week, so, so in it, because I wasn't preaching. So... So I'm like, okay, I'll wear them today. I look out, it's raining. I was like, oh, man. I was like, I preached. Shoes are meant to be worn, right? The Lamborghini in the winter. So anyway, Matthew 3, 13 through 17. I think sometimes it's good to connect us back to the heart of this house a bit, as well as what the Lord's continuing to do in the new things. We're to bring him a new song. <laughs> he likes the old songs, but he also wants the new song. We don't forsake the old to embrace the new. That, that's, that's where we mistake what honor really is. <laughs> Dishonor is not, is, is not embracing new. Dishonor would not be embracing the new. Amen. Honor is holding on and appreciating the old and appreciating what the Lord has done, but honor is also now looking forward to what he's continuing to do and will do in the future. Yeah. Matthew three thirteen through 17. So here we are, John the Baptist. All right, now this is John the Baptist that later on we'll read a verse. He's like, I baptize in repentance, but somebody's coming greater than me, and he baptizes in spirit and fire, right? So, 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 he's, so we have this exchange, and it's funny, all right? So let's, let's get through it, and then I'll explain. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to, to, to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus answered to him, says, Let it be so now, for thus is it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. So, so here's John, baptizing for repentance. All right? Now let me clarify. Jesus has no sin. John knows Jesus is without sin, but John's baptism is for repentance from sin. And he's saying, hey, Jesus is saying to John, I want to be baptized. And John's like, I baptize to forgive sins. Jesus is like, oh, no, we're good. Baptize me anyway. And, and then John's like, okay. So, and when Jesus, verse 16, was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice of heaven said, this is my beloved Son, for whom I'm well pleased. Now, now let me give some context here. I know we speak on this a lot. The heart of this house is identity. I think the heart of a nation should be identity because there's an identity crisis going on. So Jesus hasn't done anything. He hasn't performed a miracle, hadn't, hadn't preached the Sermon on the Mount, hadn't died on the cross, and the Father's saying, this is my son. I'm proud of him. I'm well pleased with him. 
We get so caught up, especially in our culture, do, 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 and God is saying, like, the dove rested on him, human being, be, right? And Jesus came as a human being. He came, felt what we felt, walked what we walked through, right? So, so here we have this thing. Now the dove rests on him never leave, to never leave again. Now, we come to the point. It says this. In verse 16, it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately, I've never focused on this part, and this is where we're going to focus today. Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, now this section here, the heavens were opened to him. Now, let me give a context here. The word that was used in that context is the same word that when Jesus was on the cross and the veil was torn in two, the earth shook and rocks were split. It's the same word. So we want to think, oh, the clouds, the pretty little clouds moved. The dove came so beautifully, rested on Jesus. No, there was cloud cover because it says it split the clouds. And it was a violent shaking when this happened. Now, you got to go to the, the original context here. And the word was this same exact thing when Jesus died on the cross, and that's in Matthew 27, 51. Let, let's read it real quick. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. We read that, and we're like, this was a violent shaking. Jesus had just surrendered his life for you and I to be in eternity with the Father and Spirit, right? So here's what happens. The earth shook, rocks split, the curtain, the veil that was at the temple separating us to the, of the holiest of holies, right, was split in two. It's the same context that when Jesus was baptized, it's the same exact word that when the cloud covered, the darkness had separated, the light of heaven came down, and now there's an open heavens. I don't know about you, I just got goosebumps on that one. Because identity and walking in intimacy, authority, and power is so connected to walking in the light of Jesus and hosting his presence in our identity. Jesus was 30 years old. After this moment, he was tempted. Then he walked in miracle signs, wonders, and did the fulfillment of his life and assignment on earth for three years. It was a violent shaking. Now, let me, let me just give some context here. I believe we're supposed to walk in an open heavens. Now, I, I know that when we're walking in this open heavens, there's challenges. I, I, it's funny. I was on the phone with Nicole this week, and I was like, it's crazy the doors that are opening. I had three, four meetings this week that were blowing my mind. I mean, just like crazy things that where the kingdom is expanding and, and what's happening and things that are shaking and things that are blowing up. Literally, revival things, revival tape conversations. On my other conversations, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling where all hell is being plundered. Marriage is being challenged, these, 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 this tension, right? It's this tension. Now, now, thankfully, we live in a world where we're victorious and we're not victims, where our God wins, where we know the word says that we're more than conquerors, right? That no weapon formed against us will prosper. But there is a shaking going on. There is a threshing going on on a threshing floor that there is waste and it's being stirred up and the wind is blowing, right? There's a fresh wind. And the wind of heaven blows that away from us. But at times, it's in the air. And we're like, Lord, are you going to blow? Are you going to come like a mighty rushing wind again? If you were here a few weeks ago, you'll know what I'm talking about. So, so, so here's the deal, though. But yet, so we have this moment, this revival moment. And I'm telling you that when, when all heaven is opening up, the earth is shaking. There's things happening. Look around us. 
There's things, there's, there's chaos, there's confusion, there's, there is identity crisis, there's sexual crisis, there's confusion, there's all of these things, right? It's because at the same time the heavens being opened up and the Holy Spirit's being poured out, the earth is shaking, rocks are splitting, right? We have to identify this. Like, now, now, again, this is not from a victim mindset. This is a victorious mindset. It's not, not also a condemnation and judgmental mindset. It's we now get to reap the harvest and collect the bread and invite people to the table. Let me end with this story. I, wasn't, I didn't know if this was a personal thing or if this was a corporate thing. And then Brittany began to share about uh, a birth. Last night, I was up most of the night with this dream. And it was this girl that we knew from youth camp from a different church a while ago, from a leader's family. And this girl, even though in a body of a different girl, um, came and we were waiting in line to get into a very familiar conference or this youth camp. And she was pregnant. And I was like, oh, you're pregnant. Like, celebrating pregnancy, right? And then she, her, she just suddenly just gets angry and, and gets like really perturbed, starts to walk away. And I was like, well, what's going on? I'm, I'm, I'm congratulating, like I'm happy for you. And it was out of wedlock. And she's, she thought I was judging her. And I was like, no, not at all. God doesn't make mistakes. And I began to speak life to her. And I began to just pour out like her calling and the way the Lord sees her. And I remember specifically saying like, Shame wants to interfere with your calling and your destiny and your anointing. But shame has no room here because the Lord has impregnated you with something and you're called to great things and he gives life. And then began, she began to just weep and cry and we embraced and it was just a beautiful moment, right? And, and I was like, man, and it went, it went long. I was like, I don't know if I was so excited from Ohio State winning or either way, not much sleep last night. And, I, and then, I, then through the night, I'm having this dream. And then now almost 42 years old, I had to use the bathroom twice. So, Welcome to the 40s, they say. It's going to be great. Some of you are like, wait till you get to the 50s or 60s. But anyway, I, I, I then like, I had that dream and I remember how powerful this girl was. And then to see her having shame separate her and and I remember using the word shame and pride, and I, there was one other I can't put, put my mind on right now. But anyway, and I woke up, and I, and I told Nicole about it this morning. I was like, is this, do you think this is corporate today? This is for the church? Is this for them personally? We, we know this family a little bit. Or, or is this something down the road? She's like, I don't know. I was like, all right, I don't know either. And then Brittany shared, I was like, okay, I think it's for today. And here, here's, here's what I believe. I believe like that threshing floor represents so much. And I believe there's so much in us, and it's a continual thing, because I don't know about you, but I'm not without sin. I'm not without temptation and trials. I'm in process. And, and, I, and this week, as some things shook loose and some things happened, and I was like, man, I'd do that all over again. And I began to, and Nicole's like, I can't believe you're handling this so well. I was like, because I came home. I didn't have my Bible at work. So I came home in the midst of this crisis, and I grabbed my word. And then I researched every scripture of threshing floor. And because I'm like, Lord, you're revealing something. I mean, there's still things in, in this that I'm not trusting you in. There's still things in this that I'm not going to the altar with you for. There's still things in this that you're revealing. And it got to the point, like, if it meant losing your job, your house, and all this, would you still do it? Yep, I would. 
okay, but what, am I, what, what is he doing through this, right? So I begin to just question, and I'm, hopefully that you've been through these processes of these refining moments to where you continually do that. I do. Unfortunately for me, it's like the big moments. I'm like, oh, I should do this every day. I want to be on the threshing floor every day, Jesus. And I'm just here to say, like, that, that, that refining, that threshing, when you throw that straw and that dust up, the Lord's wind blows it away. And if you put it in context of Scripture, if you're thinking sin or these mistakes or, or how, why, have you not, why are you not fulfilling your calling now? Why is the prophetic words not coming true yet? Like all this stuff. We start going through this thing and these lies, right? It's like, man, he's never wasted a moment. He's never wasted a situation or a circumstance or even a sin. He doesn't waste it. It's for those moments and when we throw it up and we just give it to him. And, and for you, I don't, I don't know, I begin to envision this thing of just like throwing it up to him. Like literally, that's the posture of worship. That's the posture of surrender, right? And we're throwing up that, that wheat and, and he's blowing away the nasty stuff. And then what we have left is the wheat that we get to have the bread of life at a table from an altar. Why don't you stand with me? I want to continually be refined. If it takes a situation, it takes a situation. But I really want to just live in this realm of humility and hunger to where I'm continually asking the Lord, is there anything else, Lord? What? Please work on it so I don't have to go through the circumstance that it gets worked on. <laughs> Please, let me just give it to you. If it's arrogance, let me give it to you. If it's fear, let me give it to you. If, it's, if I need patience, please don't put me through the trial. I'll just be patient, right? Be careful what you pray for. Give me patience, Lord. Boom, 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 boom. Like, I want to be in this threshing floor where, where there's this continual separation of the good and the bad, and then I just get to build an altar, that I get to build a temple, that I get to think generationally, and I get to be a place of worship to host his presence and to pray and just bless him. That's what I wanted up a room. Matthew 3, 13 through 17 says this. And Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan. No, I'm on the wrong scripture. Matthew 3, 11 and 12. I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. When David built the altar, when he was done, and he had given his sacrifice, and he had prayed and knew the Lord was answering, all of a sudden, the all-consuming fire, and he just burned it up. I want to burn for Jesus. I want to be baptized in his spirit and his fire. I want to walk in repentance, but I want to be baptized in his spirit and fire. And I want to be so filled up. You're not really like, like this, this cup like, or this container. Oh, see, this, this was beneficial. I was like, I hate, the, I hate the water bottles that are so flimsy. When I go to drink, it like bends in half. And now it's like the Aquafinas and the Santis, they don't do that. And then they're so loud when I'm trying to like drink. But anyway, like this is full, right? It's really not until it's doing this. It's not full unless you're leaking out. I better not do that over electric. <laughs> I want to be full that I leak out. I want to be full that people hear more about Jesus in my life than about me. 
I want to be so full that it's more about my titles and it's more about him. Less about my title, less about that crap and more about him. I want to overflow. It's the Lord's prayer. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's Psalms 23 to the point of overflow, right? So we're going to play this song. I don't, I don't know where it's going to take you, all right? I'm going to play this song that I've been on repeat. I think it's five or seven minutes. I have no clue. After that song plays once, we'll call the prayer team up. And if you need prayer for anything, I'm going to welcome you to that. I'm going to close you in prayer now. I want you to take a moment on this threshing floor. And I want you to visualize what is the Lord doing in us so that he can do something through us and around us. Oh, man. Steve and I were talking this week. This is not going to be long, I promise. And we're like, man, we pray for revival, and then revival starts to come, and it looks different. And we're like, oh, wait, I don't know about that. Or we're praying for revival, and he's putting people or things or doors are opening right in front of us, and we're so leery to walk out because we're not recognizing this is revival. Because we were picturing this, and God's doing this. We were picturing revival be Holy Spirit coming, and more people come like, oh, wait, I need to invite them to the table and the altar. It's, it's this thing of like this realm of what, what it looks like. And, and I'm here to tell you, like, it costs something. David paid full price because it costs something. What are we willing to pay? It's for the next generation. It's for us. It's for our home. It's for my marriage. It's for, it's for my walk. I'll, all that to say, revival starts here with me on the inside. Otherwise, I'm just a polished tomb or this cup that looks good on the outside but rotten on the inside. Aaron, you very seldom talk about giving or tithes or all that. that that's an outside thing. If I talk about the inside and identity and you fall in love with Jesus, he works on the outside. I don't have to. So I'm going to play this song. And, and this altar's open, the aisles are open, the floor's open, whatever you want to do. And I want this to be a personal thing. I believe that it starts with repentance. John's baptism started with repentance. Then Jesus came after for spirit and fire. I want it all. So whatever the Lord takes you in this journey over the next five to ten minutes, I'm going to pray. We're going to do that. Prayer team will come as it plays a second time, and then you guys can leave as you see fit and wish, okay? But Lord, I thank you for today. We come to you humble. We come to you knowing we're in process, knowing that this is a journey. And Lord, we, we want to walk in intimacy with you. We want to walk in authority with you. And we want to walk in power. But Lord, put us on the threshing floor separate the waste and the chaff from, from, from the wheat, Lord. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the word today. We thank you for the worship, but Lord, let our hearts adore you. Don't let us adore ourselves. Lord, if it's more about us, we're adoring ourselves. Let it be about you. We want to adore you. We want it to be worship. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. Lord, anybody who doesn't know Christ, I ask that they surrender their hearts today. Any healing that's needed, you heal them. Any lies, we, we cancel lies and, and release your truths, Jesus. Let us walk in the identity of sons and daughters that you've called us to. Your beloveds with who you're pleased with. We thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen.